The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Mark Gaskell, who's president of MKG Financial, based in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Jordan. Great to be with you. Let's just start a little bit with your background and uh, kind of how you got to where you are in your financial firm today. Well, you know, long story short, after 30-some-odd 30, 30 years, uh, I graduated from the University of Oregon in finance and economics and uh, came in during a great time after the uh, mid-'70s recession and got started with the you know some of the major firms, uh, E.F. Hutton, uh, Schuson, Lehman, uh, Piper Jaffray, and then about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I decided that after so many of the mergers, we, we basically started our own firm because what we were doing was managing money for people, and that's what we've done ever since. So are you actually uh, managing the money yourself? You're picking individual stocks, or are you using outside money managers? No, we're actually uh, we're called uh, basically uh, an account manager where we're actually managing with individual companies. Uh, so we're not using mutual funds at all or ETFs or anything like that. And we're pretty much an all-long, so we don't do any short, so we're not really a hedge fund at all either. Uh, we've always been an all-long, fundamentally driven, uh, small mid-cap primarily uh, manager. And uh, tell me about your clients. So what is your minimum and what kind of clients do you tend to have? Well, our minimum, I'm, I'm really old school. I mean, our minimum is uh, is uh, 100000 and above, and our, you know, our average accounts come in usually above that. But... Uh, our clients are predominantly uh, individuals and corporations uh, and retirement, uh, of course. Um, pretty much have always gone that way, and it's it's interesting because in the last 10 to 20 years, uh, a lot of your individual clients are what you used to be going out and pulling in as institutions. I mean, we call them quasi-institutions anymore, um, you know, because they've sold businesses. Uh, they've accumulated uh, a lot in retirement, things of that nature. So they come in in all all sorts and sizes. And tell me your basic investment uh, approach. Is it top down? Are you looking at individual companies, or kind of what is the basic approach you look? Well, it's a combination of what you just what you just said. We we actually we do a three tier approach, uh, three steps we call it. The first is that we spend a lot of time, probably half the time, really focusing on the economics and getting a good idea on the economic picture and where things are actually going. And, of course, that's turned out what used to be um, micro and macro. Micro is in your backyard. Macro is domestic. Today, micro is domestic. Macro is, is international, global. And so, uh, so we take a real strong approach to the, to the economics of what's going on. Then we look at the growth areas that are basically are thriving because of that picture. And uh, we want to basically focus on the areas that are going to continue to grow. And then we get into picking the individual stocks and try to go with the companies that are, are dominant, um, where you have high barriers of entry, um, really focus on supply and demand, where you, you want companies that, that dominate niche areas that you don't have a lot of competition. 
And, of course, that changes, you know, every day. So that's kind of where we look, we focus on, and we're fundamentally driven. So we're really driven by earnings. And if we don't have the earnings today, we want to basically see something growing within the company that's going to give us the earnings, that's going to allow us to value the companies. Because owning companies that go up is one thing, but you really want want to watch out for what you're willing to pay for those companies and when they get overvalued. And that's really when you basically want to sell. We don't believe that there's such a thing anymore as a buy-and-hold strategy or a trading strategy. You basically, the markets will pretty well, and the times will pretty well dictate to what you're going to do with companies and what you're looking for. As, you know, the best example of companies is a company that basically keeps growing but never gets overpriced, and you can just own it forever. But unfortunately, in this, this world, that doesn't happen very often. So it sounds like you're more of a growth investor than a value investor, is that right? Uh, well, I am a growth investor, and uh, yes, if, you know, I always say, you know, I always uh, say a lot of good things about, you know, Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch and uh, John Templeton in the old days when he was with us, and but probably more oriented towards the Peter Lynch style of investing. The funny thing about value investing is value investing is probably the area that's changed the most in the last ten years, and when I say that. Value investing used to be going in and looking at a company from a breakup value basis and, you know, you're really buying the nuts and bolts. And that really was more of the Warren Buffett style. Unfortunately, we've gotten into more in the last decade or more, we've gotten into more of a growth mode. So even your value managers today aren't really what they used to be. They're more growth-oriented. They are truly looking at a growth picture. And part of it is just basically because in the last 10 years, Growth has kicked in, in in a way that we've you know hadn't seen before. You know, back in the days when you, your best growth vehicle was probably an IBM. Ever since actually the 1980s, it's really turned into be more higher growth oriented. So you don't find very many of the old fashioned value managers anymore. And tell me a little bit about your performance and what benchmarks you use to compare yourself to. Well, we use you know we use the benchmark. We're small mid cap. But we also, in this day and age, we've come to believe that the the market pretty much goes more towards um, the overall approach, and you're, you're kind of seeing that. And I think people just witness probably the biggest change in the world. And I'll come back and answer what you're asking in a second, but it used to be that people allocated all around in so many different directions, and they've done that a lot, and they've done it a couple of different times, and it's come back to bite them a little bit. And our belief is that money kind of goes in the direction, not so much of the, the size of company you have, but basically what the ultimate result is going to be. And we just saw that where basically you're allocated all over the place between commodities and growth stocks and international and emerging growth and large growth, et cetera. And it didn't really help a lot because the world's become more of a similar playing field. And it's not quite the dispersed markets that you used to have. So we predominantly, you know, match ourselves to the to the NASDAQ and to the S&P 500. We watch with the small mid-cap, but we're not really a small cap. We're, we'll own a red hat or we'll own some companies that are larger and more dominant in nature. So co- consequently, you're looking at that type of a, of, a, of a situation in terms of what we're focusing on. So it doesn't really matter. We might own a larger company if we think that it's like right now we own Ford. And Ford was obviously is a dominant company, but it's not exactly a small to mid cap. But when you look at it where the stock was, <laughs> the playing field has changed. And we'll talk more about that, I know, as the show goes on. But So when we look at the benchmarks, we're focusing prim- primarily on the ones 
that dominate the market attention the most, and that tends to be, in our opinion, the uh, the Nasdaq and the uh, the S and P five hundred. And so, give me a sense of your longer term performance compared to those benchmarks. Well, our long term performance uh, is funny because our thirteen year performance is it runs basically about eleven percent per year, and that, of course, if you go in and look at that compared to the S and P and to the to the, the Nasdaq, that's ex- extremely well, extremely good. But our probably our five year track record is probably more closer to the to the eight percent range, and that has to do with a lot of the of course the last year, and so uh, that's how we're comparing ourselves, and and consequently in the current market we're running probably about twenty percent up for this year, and that's from uh, day one. We hate to look at it that way because it basically wiped out last fall. Last fall we were down probably about forty five percent. We look at it as we've been here twice in 13 years. The first time was in 2002, where we didn't have a problem in 2000, 2001, but 2002 with the governance issues brought us down with everybody else. And then, of course, we grew back out of that range. This time, same type of situation. We've come down. I know we're going to talk about whether or not we're seeing a recovery or not a recovery. We think we're on our way back up. We didn't fall down this year as much as most of our benchmark comparisons. And uh, so, consequently, uh, we didn't have as far to come back, and as of right now, we're up about 20% for the year, ending uh, July 31st. And do you only put money in stocks, or do you have some in bonds and cash as well? We do. That that comes into play on the basis of what our, our clients are looking for. We have some clients, particularly larger clients, who want to be more diversified. We stress, basically, and again, we're the old-fashioned. We, we look at um, bonds, stocks primarily is what we get, uh, get uh, picked for to manage money, but we have a lot of clients that want to hedge and soften a little bit or have income coming in, and therefore you're, we're, we're using uh, bonds and cash as the equivalent. Cash, of course, being on the money market side, uh, you never have money sitting idle. So we're predominantly a stock and bond um, investment firm. Heavy emphasis, probably 90% of our emphasis is actually more on the, on the uh, equity side, and then we'll use cash if we think there's a reason to raise money. And then how about alternative investments? Uh like what hedge funds are doing or commodities or gold or other kinds of alternatives out there? We don't. Uh, a lot of our clients are invested in alternative investing. Uh, occasionally someone will ask us uh, to refer them someplace uh, that will focus on that area, and we will do that. But for us, we're predominantly um, uh, old-fashioned stock and bond investing all along. Uh, it's what's given us our track record over time. The main reason is it would be great to say, okay, we shorted the market and went down and protected. You know, the bottom line is you can't do everything. We do something well, which is basically identify value, identify growth, and being involved on the upside. And when you come to a period of time like we've been in the last year, what most of our clients want to know is do we understand what's going on, and that's what we pride ourselves on the most. Do we know where we're going and, you know, are we basically going to get back on track? And that's what we do. We're spending all of our time right now. And basically what we're seeing is that we're getting back on track. We're seeing some very good things going on right now and very fundamentally driven. I mean, if you have earnings, that's the key, the key factor. You know, what you're looking at in here, Jordan, is there's three categories going on right now. The first is companies are coming in and missing expectations on earnings. And, of course, that's causing a lot of downside. The second level is that you have companies coming in and beating expectations, but they're still down below last year. So although they're doing better than the analysts thought, 
They're still not growing compared to year-over-year basis. And then you have companies that are basically not only beating expectations, but they're also beating last year's numbers. And that adds a lot to the upside on stocks, and that's kind of what we like to focus on. Do we have an entire portfolio that does that? No, because there's some areas that we want to be in that we're taking advantage of the current scenario with the market being where it's at. But we have a lot of stocks that are basically beating beating, uh, not only expectations, but they're hitting the balls out of the park compared to last year. That's given a lot of upside, and we've got some stocks that are hitting all new highs in here. So we're pretty happy with the current situation. Terrific. Okay, when we get back, uh, we're going to talk more about the overall economy and then where you see some of these winners, what industries, what some specific stocks that uh, you think are good places to be uh, right now. Uh, I'm speaking, uh, this again is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. I'm speaking with Mark Gaskell, who's president of MKG Financial, based in Portland, Oregon. His website is mkgfinancial.com. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Mark of the Fraud by Royd Head. Hear more at don'tbeanasterisk.com. Brought to you by Ad Council and the U.S. Olympic Committee. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark Gaskell, uh, who is the president of MKG Financial, based in Portland, Oregon. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thank you, Jordan. Good to be with you. Well, since you start at, at the macro level, let's kind of get a sense of your view uh, of the uh, economic situation we're in uh, today. We've had an enormous uh, downdraft in the economy. Things seem to be getting a little bit better, but wh- where do you see the economy going from where we are today? Well, you know, it's it's funny because as, as recently as a week ago and a month ago and, you know, two months ago, there's the ongoing debate about whether or not we're even recovering. Um, I think I shared with you, I thought one of the funniest uh, arguments from CNBC this morning I was watching and they're talking about or debating about whether or not we even needed the stimulus, and maybe you know because things are looking like they're getting so good going forward. And as we all know, a week ago they were arguing the other direction. And so, my view has been that this is ending up to be very much a V-shaped uh, recovery and, and market. And the market has been for, for telling us that we're, we're coming out of it. And in this day and age, you don't really know that. But when you go back and look at the numbers and the and the statistics on economics, and this morning out came the ISM, the Institute of Supply Management Manufacturing Index, and again it reached a closer level to what they're looking for, above 50%. It came in at 48.9. That's up from 44.8. But if you went back to uh, January, it was at 35.6. And what that means is that if you're at or above 50%, you're in an expansion mode. So to be at 48.9 at this point paints a pretty good picture. But when you tear those numbers apart, the thing that gets everybody really going is that in January, new orders on this scale was 33. Today, they're 55, which means new orders are already in an expansion mode. And you know, a lot of people shake their head at that and say, well, you know, how can this be? You know, you're looking at a 50 number on the backlog. You're looking at a 57.9 on production. You know, we're not putting anybody back to work. And, you know, unemployment is one of those things that doesn't come back the fastest. In fact, it comes back the slowest. If you go back to in, in, in 01, which was not a consumer-driven recession, but a, a manufacturing-driven recession coming out of the technology side, we didn't hit the peak in unemployment until June of '03, you know, almost two years later. So most of your businesses don't look to be running out to hiring people back really fast. But my sense is that they'll probably hire them back faster than what we think. We're recovering pretty fast, and it went down fast last fall into winter. It's come up fast. We're actually seeing a bottoming. It looks like on the real estate side. I think what people are going to be disappointed is probably how fast maybe the consumer comes back. But that's because the consumer's not sitting out there with the usual pent-up demand that you would get coming out of a downturn. <laughs> that was the whole point. We spent 11 years buying everything that we, that we wanted, so consequently you don't quite have that aspect coming out of this period of time. What you do have, though, is globalization and foreign consumers, and you have a lot of things going on in those foreign countries. So my, my view is that it, it's not one particular area. People go, well, yeah, but what about this? What about that? Surprisingly, when you look at most of the economic data, from September down into December, January, we fell like a rock, and we have come back up on a fairly consistent basis, ebbing and flowing, 
But if you look at the trend, it's been pretty. It's been pretty solid. And what it says right now is that we're back to a pretty good economic period of time. The only thing that's missing, of course, is better job creation. But I don't think anybody can argue the fact that it looks like we're probably coming out of the recession. And what is driving uh, that growth? The ISM going from thirty-five to almost fifty. Well, I think I think what you're looking at mostly, like if I go and look at at uh, it's funny export orders uh, are at fifty, uh, import orders happen to be at fifty. I think what you're looking at that's driving it the most is probably globalization. You know, it, it's funny, but you know the U.S. consumer is probably we're not going to we have been and well noted, the consumer of the world. If you go back to the Asia crisis back in 97, 98, we probably helped save the world from that basis. Our consumers just spent, and we bought houses, we bought cars, we bought we bought things we didn't even need. I think what we're missing the, missing the boat on is the fact the new consumers are in China, the new consumers are in, in India, um, sub-Saharan countries, etc. And there's far more. We have 305 million people in this country, I mean, China alone is 1. 1.5, 1.3 to 1.5 Another 1. 1.1 to 1.3 in India. I mean, the fact is we're 4.5% of the world. Now, our companies are very innovative, and we are probably as global as any, any entity that you could look at. I don't care if we're talking about Google, uh, Google or if we're talking at um, GE or, or what level. Chrysler, you know, Chrysler, not Chrysler, excuse me, General Motors is, you know, the manufacturing car company of China. I mean, the fact is we're very good at, at basically doing business in foreign countries, and I think that that's really a driving force. What makes it really simple is that even a company small like mine can be doing business internationally thanks to the Internet and how we basically can do business today. And I don't think we give enough credence to what the small businesses in this country are doing on a global basis. One of the major reasons why the economy fell um, is the credit crunch and the banks yes. falling into trouble and so on. Is your sense that the credit crunch is easing now? You, you said small businesses are the innovators, uh, particularly aimed at small business. Are they able to get loans today they couldn't uh, a few months ago? Well, you know, it's interesting because even from every, uh, every factor that you look at, you hear a lot about, you know, it's tough getting loans. I, I happened to visit my niece and nephew uh, uh, yesterday and they've just you know they're sitting with a brand new rav4 toyota that they just bought and you know they both have jobs and you know they're they're in pretty good shape and they own a home but nothing extravagant but then you know they went out and bought a car with of course the the you know the clunkers for cash uh situation that's going on right now in the auto industry i think credit has lightened up some but i think more importantly i think the myth there's a lot of misconceptions out there i don't think you know, when you see the savings rate going to the 7% range, there is a lot of demand on the consumer level for, for credit. But I think that there's, a, there's, there's also a huge amount of, of non-demand on the consumer side for credit as well. I mean, I think it's a, it's a misconception. I don't know personally that many people, and I hate to think that I'm in a snobbish level, I know a lot of people in a lot of different areas. I don't know anybody who's sitting there waiting to go out and buy something. You know, Jim, you know, want a new car maybe? I think this is the paradigm shift that we're not used to. It's kind of what, what um, China kind of moved themselves into. China was, a, you know, a country very much exporting to the rest of the world. They've now put, 
in a lot of stimulus, and they're kicking in internal demand inside China by their own consumers. Okay, I think what we need to take into consideration that if we're not the consumers of the world, that may mean even to ourselves. Okay, so that's the area I think is going to be a hard thing to overcome. It's kind of like Jordan coming out of the um, the eighties into the nineties, and you know, cons- you know, the business debt levels were huge. We saw the leverage buyouts. We saw all sorts of wringing out of debt from the corporate level. And that's kind of what the nineties was all about. And today, you have a lot of companies that aren't really aren't sitting on debt. You know, it's it's not a big issue. I think that's what we're going to do with the consumers. I think we've wrenched out and we'll further wrench out a lot of the debt situation from the consumer side. And I'm not sure we'll go back to where our consumers will be the driving force. Where over the over past decades, you know, two thirds of the driving force in this country has been the consumer spending. I'm not sure that that's where it's going to come in the future. Well, some people say that the consumers are so in, over indebted now that just paying off their existing debt m- makes them reluctant to spend uh, going forward. They've got uh, and not only the amount of debt, but the interest rates and the debt and the fees and the limited credit availability, their credit lines are being cut by banks and so on. That, that That's what's going to retard the recovery here is that uh, consumers have so much debt and what the debt that they do have is becoming more expensive all the time. Well, it's interesting because when you go in and look at consumer debt levels, consumer debt levels are, I hate to say it, but they are, they are really falling through the floor. I mean, when I say falling through the floor, the amount of consumer debt in this country is declining rapidly and has done that, of course, over the last six to nine months. I mean, there's a lot of people that are fearful. Um, it's not saying that it's solving all the problems, that you'll take all the debt out of the picture, you know, out of the picture. But, I mean, the two things that you've seen is you've seen consumer debt dropping, and you've seen the savings rate where they go up, where the average savings rate in this country is running around 7%. Now, that takes into consideration that you do have people that are unemployed, and you have people who obviously are not part of that savings position. I think what we didn't take into consideration is that the consumers were spending so much that when they suddenly decided they weren't going to, they, they, they weren't going to spend in the future, or at least currently, it really didn't take that much and that long to basically sop up and start getting their savings rate up and start dropping that consumer that debt level down where they start paying off on a lot of the debt that they have outstanding. Now, there are, there are all sorts of alternatives and options, and you go out there and look at the people, and not everybody fits the mode. But it looks like that's the trend. And so at this stage of the game, the question is, and I'm in total agreement, I don't think the consumers are going to be coming back as the driving force, but I think we're going to see it in other areas. And, and a lot of that has to do with businesses doing business overseas. They will eventually start hiring back people for specific jobs, and that will kind of be the driving force of where we're going. But maybe we won't be reliant on our own consumers for being the, the catalyst going forward. Well, that would certainly be a major change to have the U.S. Uh, move towards exporting and less consumption because we've been the, the, you know, the train running the, the world for a long oh, time. We have. American consumers have always bailed everybody else out. So that's quite a cultural d- difference you're talking about. Well, you know, the paradigm shift here, though, and this has been going on now for a while, is really, and when you take a look, I mean, half over 40% pushing towards half of the world population are in China and India, which are becoming very consumer-oriented. I mean, the real shift really started, I like to look at it as kind of the catalyst, was with the fall of the, of the, cold, uh, you know, the cold War and the, the, the Berlin Wall and when Eastern Europe became part of a growing society over in Europe. 
and then you had, of course, the the uh, closed door policy of China, which changed a lot. And you know, it's interesting. You talk to people who go to China all the time; they're saying they can't. It, it's it's almost hard to believe. You know, a uh, hundred thousand dollars goes a long ways in China, and you find people that have that. But then you find people that are running three billion dollar companies in China, where before they used to be farmers. And you know, so you have this change. I like to say recently that. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll pick up on this then. Okay. All righty. A lot of interesting things. We're going to take uh, some of these broader economic views and bring it down to uh, individual sectors and stocks as well, so you can learn how to profit from uh, Mark's advice. Uh, again, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mark Gaskell, who's the president of MKG Financial based in Portland, Oregon. We'll be back after this. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Mike check, one, two, big poser coming to you fake yeah. ever. Got no more games since nah. I got with the juice. Uh-huh. No cruising with my friends, they cut me loose. Now my coach is hating, parents keep berating. Good thing my team's still behind me saying. Hey, yo, what happened to my teammates, man? Yo, where y'all at, man? Come on, man. I thought we were family. Ugh, don't be a poser. Hear more at don'tbeanasterisk.com. Brought to you by Ad Council and the U.S. Olympic Committee. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark Gaskell, who's president of MKG Financial based in Portland, Oregon. Welcome back to the show, Mark. We've kind of got a good sense of the overall economic view, and now let's start getting into some sectors uh, that you think are going to benefit. You said there are sectors that you like that are going to grow particularly, even though the economy has been 
been weak, even though it's coming back a little bit. Let's start with some of the sectors that you're favoring right now. Let's take one at a time. Mark, let's just do one at a time. In telecommunications, why don't you give us some names of, of stocks you think would play that trend? Well, I think one of the ones that we like really well is, is a company called Techlec, uh, symbol TKLC. Uh, Techlec uh, provides um, um, part of the services to the inside your cell phone, so to speak, but to the also predominantly to the telecom companies that allow you to do things like text messaging. I mean, there's uh, well over 70, 80 billion text messages in the U.S. Uh, on a per-month basis, and 80% of that goes across equipment that is produced by TechLuck for the telecom industry. Um, that's not the only area that they're involved in, but the, the real key there is that when we look at a company, it isn't just the U.S., as you probably gather, that we look at. The biggest growth area for a company like TechLuck is the telecom companies that are over, overseas, and they, they're dealing with a much a growing amount a number of those companies as well, from really Pakistan throughout Europe and into uh, South America. So that's an area that we like really well. And do you like some of the telecommunications service providers on ATT, Verizon, or those kind of companies overseas as well? You know, it's funny. Um, no, what we tend to be a company that focuses on what I say. If you if you're digging holes in the ground, we want to buy the companies that are selling the shovels. Mm -hmm. And we hope to find not only the best, but hope that, it, as I said earlier, barriers of entry to keep others from coming in. So we'll tend to go to the companies that are basically providing service to those companies, kind of like in the old days, uh, back in the days when Cisco Systems provided, uh, you know, 85% of the routers to the dot-com companies. So they were a good way to play that market without getting into the dot-com arena. So we want to, we we kind of want to go with the companies that are dominant um, we do own a company in China that's in the telecom arena called, uh, we call it Kojo, which is Comtech uh, Technologies. And this is a company that basically provides the services inside the, tele the telephones, the cell phones for the telecom industry. So when the world's, when the Olympics, the World Olympics were, were going on in China, China wanted, many of the companies wanted people to be able to see on television on their cell phones the Olympics and watch it while it was going on. This is a company that provided that system inside the cell phones. And so they're predominantly a, an Asian and international company, and we, we tend to like that arena because we see it as a strong growth area. Okay. You were saying healthcare is another area you like. A lot of controversy about what's going to be happening in healthcare. What, what are some ways to play uh, healthcare? Well, healthcare, I think, is, you know, you've got to cut it down to the basis. And the, the basis, and what I started to say is, why you're seeing a paradigm shift and probably in the saving side and everything else is because of the number of, of elderly people getting older and the baby boomers who are, who are hitting that longevity area. And, you know, you run into people that are now in their 90s, pushing towards the 100s, et cetera. And so you have a huge number of people that health care is going to become an issue, and that's why it's so important for the administration. What we see going on there, it's not just in this country, but it's global. I mean, if you go over to Italy as an example, it's almost as if Italy quit having kids. I mean, they have an older aging population than we do. You go to China, China we all know has had a, a population that, you know, 
one child per family has been kind of the the glowing uh, approach since ho- you know since uh, the Mal days. So consequently, you have uh, from Japan across the board, you have an aging population, and healthcare is going to continue to dominate. In that, then you have the need to get things going, and that's what the administration is focusing on now. So, on one side, it's an inevitable situation. On the other side, it looks like maybe we're going to start doing more about it and getting things done. So, you have companies out there like Cerner Corp, C E R N, C E R N on the on the Nasdaq, which is a dominant IT company. Their software runs a lot of hospitals. But yet, on a global basis, we saw a situation over in the Arab Emirates where 12 hospitals and 60 clinics in- installed their software also to-, to have connectivity and sharing of data, which is something that you hear a lot about nowadays. So, again, a lot of the companies we're looking at are, are global. One of the companies we've owned for a long time and uh, is in the uh, genome arena, and the leaders, we call them the 800-pound gorilla, is, is Alumna, I-L-M-N. Alumna basically produces the sequencing equipment for DNA research, again, on a global basis from the universities in China uh, to, to um, Harvard to MIT. Um, they just picked up uh, some more contracts here just recently, and their, their whole push is to bring down the DNA mapping and sequencing from the million-dollar level. They're already down to the 100000 level to bring it down to $10,000 level, which pushes the arena where more people can have uh, better better um, analysis done, and and really what you're doing is you're pushing forward the uh, the healthcare uh, arena and doing doing a lot of good things. What we look at is that there isn't a major drug company who has a drug coming off off a patent that doesn't turn around and try to find someplace else in the body that that drug will have a positive effect. That alone is a driving force for the DNA research. But it's more from a global healthcare scenario. It's the new, it's the new area of healthcare that we see everything kind of shifting to. Okay, very good. Anything else in the healthcare area? Those are two good names. Anything else particularly come to mind? Well, the, you know, when you when you get into it, you know, and you look at, I think the generics. We've done a lot of work over the years on generic companies, and with a lot of success from the Bar Labs. Uh, uh, the arena has just been really good. As companies are uh, as drugs are coming off patent for a lot of the big drug companies, you know the generics are there looking to create alternatives, which bring, helps bring down the cost. One of the companies that has now um, pushed itself into being the second largest generic company in the U.S. and the third largest in the world is a company called Mylan Laboratories, M Y L on the uh, on the New York and Mylan, which. Five years ago was probably actually more like three years ago was probably doing uh, about 1.5 billion in sales. They're now doing uh, approximately five billion in sales. Uh, they made a huge acquisition last year as well as other acquisitions. But the huge acquisition was a generic uh, uh, subsidiary of uh, Merck. And what we see this company doing for the last six seven quarters, they've absolutely beat analyst expectations. We see that continuing. And we see Mylan leveraging their, their, themselves going forward. The real key is that they are now today a global company, kind of like a Teva Pharmaceutical over, over out of Israel, which is the world's largest. And we see Mylan, which has come off of its bottom, but is far below where we think the expectations are where this company should be. Uh, we see this as really looking very good going over the next 12 to 18 months. Do you think that there is going to be some kind of a national health care program reform passed uh, when Congress gets back from their recess? Well, you know, 
I won't take anything away from this administration. I mean, I support the administration. I think that there were some things that need needed to be done. Uh, I'm a little queasy about some of the things that they have done when it comes to the business world. Uh, when it comes to the health care, it's probably, if I had to pick one area for the administration to focus on, this would be it, because you can't stop where we're going to be five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, and the cost will be horrendous. Do I think that they need to do something? No, but I think that we need to do things differently going forward. So we don't have a lot of time, but I think it, would be, it wouldn't be as easy. You know, when you have three auto companies, you can play, basically play a lot of games and do things a little bit differently. And really, one of them, you know, Ford didn't get into the position that they had to have any help by the government. In the, in the health care side, I don't know that you could actually do that. I mean, I think what you can do is push things a lot in the right direction. Cerner, as an example, is a good key company in the IT arena that helps run hospitals and helps will help share of data. Now, do we need to nationalize that situation? No. Do I, so I, I guess what I'm looking at is I think that there's going to be a lot of, a lot of opportunities to do uh, a lot of good things in the healthcare side. It's like anything else. You want to own the key companies that are dominant in their niches. Uh, I just gave you the names of three. Two of them are absolute leaders, which is the Alumna and the Cerner. Uh, Mylan is the third largest in the, uh, in the world, second largest in the country. So you're dealing with a top level of companies that should do well going forward. And I think that's where you want to stay. And I don't, uh, nationalization of healthcare, I, I don't think we'll see it. I hope we don't see it. Okay, what would be another area that you think is benefiting by the current economic situation? Well, I think that you have to take advantage of the energy sectors. If, you, if you're a believer that the economies are recovering, and this isn't just locally here or domestically, excuse me, but it's international. And I think that I just saw where China, they're now saying 7.9% growth this year, and that keeps getting inched up. Uh, the catalyst is, of course, internal growth. Internal growth in China is buying more cars. I mean, China will probably be the world's largest producer of cars this year and going forward. Um, 90%, 95% of energy is still produced by fossil fuels. I think that you can't ignore that fact. It's great to talk about green. But as the world recovers, you're going to just have a, a higher and higher drive and demand for, uh, for oil and, and natural gas. But oil is what we focus on the most. So, again, we don't particularly want to own the oil companies. We, we like the oil service industry, and that's kind of where we're, uh, we're looking at our approach. And the, uh, on that arena, I like the drillers. I think as the price is up and it went above 70 again uh, uh, this morning, uh, $70 a barrel, I think you're going to see more and more push towards uh, exploration. And I think you have a lot of companies out there that are still cheap compared to where they were. And I think this is a great time to take advantage of that. So what are some of the oil drillers you like, then? Well, we like Rowan as a, as a deep-water driller. They're, they're one of the technology-wise. They were one of the best um, in terms of the offshore and the, the deep-water drilling. They have uh, a, a good, solid fleet that's drilling all over the world. And that's really part of what you're looking at. The drilling is taking place all over the world. It's not confined into one area. So it's an area that we like. They also build rigs, um, and that's they've got some orders uh, that they're sitting on and they're, they're moving forward on those and I think that we'll continue to see that area of the market do extremely well because every country out there is looking to increase the drilling activity and exploration in their, in their backyard. And I don't care if it's India or if it's Indonesia or if it's Nigeria, 
they're all drilling. In fact, up in the Arctic is a new area that's really taken off. And then Brazil, who's had a lot of success drilling offshore. So that's an area that we like really well. And those stocks are coming in with surprisingly better numbers than what most people thought they would be, given the downside that we're seeing in the oil. And part of it is because the oil industry knows that they can't stop drilling. It's one of the reasons to get the price up. So we think that that looks, that looks very good. Very good. Uh, I'm speaking with Mark Gaskell, who's president of MKG Financial in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and we'll be back after this with more picks of particular industries and stocks that he likes in the current market. Back after this. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Looking for a good time? We've got a show that will give you a wild ride. This show will make you feel good. And it's not even bad for you. You need your time to let loose. It's time for a feel-good party. Pull up to the computer, mix yourself a drink, and turn up the speakers. Happy Hour is here. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's called the biggest radio show in the world. Hosted by international personality and pundit, Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark Gaskell, who's president of MKG Financial, uh, based in Portland, Oregon. I'm money manager there. Welcome back to the show, Mark. 
Thank you, Jordan. We were talking about different sectors of the market that you think uh, have growth potential and some specific stocks. You were saying coming in the energy area, there's also some technology-related companies. Well, we've, got a, we've got a company that we like, and it, it's kind of it's one of those that basically fell down with the uh, the other energy companies uh, when the price of the price of oil fell, of course, and. Uh, some of these haven't quite recovered back up yet, but uh, one of the areas that we like, as I mentioned, uh, I like owning the shovel companies if you're digging holes, and there isn't a hole drilled. I don't care if it's in the bottom of uh, of the ocean after two miles of water or if it's on land. Nobody drills without seismic. Uh, the better the seismic, and that's one of the things, that's probably the best technological advancement we've seen in the in the energy side because it allows, even though they'll still hit, a, a drilling company will still hit dry holes, they just won't hit as much. And when you take a look at it, it's a situation where it gives you the opportunity to basically reduce the cost of drilling if they can basically see more of this down there. We have a, a little company that we like called Ion Geophysical, and although the stock is down from 18 and it's currently selling around 280, they'll still do about 600 million in sales this year, and they're basically recovering out of that downturn. They made a huge acquisition last fall, turned out to be maybe the the worst time to do it, and then the credit market tightened, and now they're kind of working their way back out of it. But on top of that, they've created a new technology for doing cableless seismic on land. And what that means is that if you lay out 10,000 packets that you're going to listen to the vibration as it goes down into the earth, it used to be, up until now, that you had to connect each one of those packets with a cable, and you had to do a lot of terrain damage and everything else. Their new technology, which is now being sold out there into the in the exploration companies is cableless, which means they still drop the packets and they can go up the side of a mountain, cross a stream, doesn't really matter, but they no longer have to have to pull the tons of cable to connect that. And that's it doesn't it sounds like why didn't somebody do this sooner? They just didn't. This is the way they've been doing it is the way they've done it for thirty years that I've known. And so this is a new technology advancement. So when you look at how much drilling is done all over the world on a land basis even though they do also seismic in the ocean and everything else, this is actually a very big play for them because they are the only game in town and there won't be any competition for them in the, for the next year, year and a half, two years. So this could be a, a big thing for a company that's you know, selling down in the $2 range, but yet they're, you know, they'll still do $600 million in sales despite this area. So this is a new area for them. And so it's, it's the type of thing you like to find. Uh, tell us again the name of that company and stock symbol. The name of the company is, it used to be called Input Output. I.O. is the symbol. It's now called Ion Geophysical, same symbol, I.O. Very good. And you also like things in the alternative energy area, like solar and so on. Tell us how to play that. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to backtrack on that a little bit and say, you know, we like the solar area and we like the play on it. We watch it a lot. And one of the areas here in Oregon, we consider ourselves the growing capital of solar you know, for the United States, because we have a lot of companies like Solar World that came over from Germany, and they they took over a, a plant here in, in our backyard, and we have some other companies that are, are coming in as well. But recently, we're actually not quite so sure. We think solar is going to be a big play, because the price of, of the cost, I should say, is falling like a rock. And so, therefore, we see solar as becoming a, a, a very competitive uh, market for uh, electricity, and we think that that's going to be really big. We're just not sure how you're going to see companies make make money on it. Germany, which is really the largest company using solar country, excuse me, using solar in the world, in l- less than a year, China has gone from zero market share. The Chinese companies that now have 50 percent of the market in Germany is pushing German companies to push their manufacturing over to China, like we've seen everywhere else. 
a lot of solar is done, manufacturing is done in, in chip plants, semiconductor plants, because it's a very similar process. We see that even in our backyard, that eventually shifting out of here, going over to China, because your competition is pushing the price down dramatically. So consequently, what we see is a very oversaturated marketplace for manufacturing. We think it's going to be very big, and a lot of people are playing it because they're saying, look at how much business is being done out there. It must be where you want to be. Well, that's a dot-com statement. The truth of the matter is we think that there's going to be a consolidation and shakeout. The margins are going to get very thin. We do think solar is going to be a dominant player for electricity sure. because the cost is coming down so dramatically that you're going to see it on a fairly comparable basis with other electric sources. So who are some of the winners that you're looking for in the solar area? Well, that's that's the funny thing because Solar World, which is out of Germany, and that's been a big market in, in Europe as a whole, is a big market in there. I'm actually, when I say I'm backtracking a little bit, I'm, I'm sliding backwards because we're not sure who the big players are going to be there. We see a lot of companies, and of course, First Solar is the company that everybody looks for, and it's the company that, you know, today it's up a buck thirty, and that's a small move for that company. I think it was down eighteen last week on uh, Thursday or Friday. So. We see it as an area that you want to be very cautious on. We've actually steered most of our attention back to the to the area of just focusing on the oil and gas side of it because it's going to be a long time before we get to the point, even with the alternative cars coming in, um, it's going to be a long time before we nurse ourselves off of that area and you have a you really have a declining uh, marketplace as far as the amount of oil and gas that is being found. So we see that as a bigger play. Interesting enough, even on the wind side in areas like that, we recently saw, uh, I think, T. Boone Pickens, which is stepping back a little bit from the wind side that he's been very strong in. Uh, natural gas, of course, is an area that we see as basically there's a, a lot of it here in the United States, and that's another big area. But, again, there's been so much of it found that the prices moved down. So we're focusing predominantly on the, on, on the oil side, on the exploration side. And we think that that's going to be a much better area. It's kind of like looking at ethanol. You know, Jordan, ethanol was the area, and we just loved it, and everybody liked it. The next thing you know, you had plants all over the place. Now some of them are closing down. Suddenly we're using corn. Oh, my God, we're using a food source. Um, then all of a sudden, well, you know, it's not necessarily environmentally friendly like we thought it was, and suddenly we're in this whole different arena, and it's not quite the cost of it, and everything else just kind of got went cattywampus. So when it comes down to it, if you're going to invest into the energy side, we think green is good. We think everything needs to go that way. We're just not sure how to play the alternative because so far there hasn't been too many clear winners from hydrogen to ethanol to even solar now has turned out to be, you know, an area that's been really hard-pressed because you just have too many companies. So consequently, we're, we're, we're stay, stepping back a little bit on the alternative energy saying, you know, there's a lot of great things out there. It's going to do us well going forward. But at this point in time, if you're going to play the energy side, play the fact that you basically are hitting a point where so many of the wells are depleting They've got to find more. There's so much drilling going on, and there's some other ways to play it. We kind of stick with that direction. It's old-fashioned. Terrific. All right, well, it's been fantastic. Uh, appreciate all your insights, Mark. Again, I've been speaking with Mark Gaskell, who's president of MKG Financial, based in Portland, Oregon. Um, his website is mkgfinancial.com. He has a regular market commentary and uh, clearly lots of interesting ideas on how to uh, play the trends in the world economy today. Uh, so that's it. Thanks so much for being a, sh- a, a guest on the show, Mark. Thank you, Jordan. You take care. And thank you, listeners. And we'll be back again next week. Bye-bye.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.